Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As the pastor at Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene, I want to make sure that you understand that we appreciate you taking your time and watching the service online. Uh, in this chaotic time that we are in, uh, you know, not being able to have service here on campus, I really appreciate that you were following us and that you would continue to follow us online. Thank you and God bless. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I appreciate everyone being here. It's, uh, it is great to be here in the house. And as we're, uh, you know, here on this day, and I think about this, and this is Palm Sunday, but it's different, right? It's, it's different than the normal Palm Sundays that we have experienced the Palm Sundays that we experience, I don't know about you, but I've experienced those where uh, you had kids running around with, you know, waving palm branches, uh, you know, and shouting hosannas. You know, we've had all of those things, and we've had the people laying down of the palm branches in the coast, and I've actually been a part of a service on uh, you know, Palm Sunday, where the preacher came riding in on a live donkey. Don't worry, I'm not doing that this week. So don't have to worry about that one. But this is different. And this Palm Sunday is so different that I am not going to be preaching from that familiar passage of Scripture that would be preached on with the uh, triumphant entrance of Jesus Christ uh, on this day. I'm going to be talking and preaching to you this, you know, today about the passage of Scripture that immediately follows that. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 48, which are those ones that follow right after that. So it's not a typical Palm Sunday. Uh, you know, we are here on this day that we would normally be rejoicing you know, greatly uh, you know, with Jesus Christ and His entrance uh, you know, in this time that we have. And yes, it is so wonderful to be able to take this time within this season, within this Lenten season, to be able to take a break from the sorrow and the somber of that season to rejoice Jesus Christ entering into the, uh, the city. But we all know that Jesus entering into that city, that Jesus knew that this parade really soon would turn from cheers of Hosanna, of Hosanna to jeers of crucify Him. Jesus knew that as He entered into this city that this would be His last time of this entrance and He would you know, take this journey all the way to the cross. So the shouts of Hosanna for Jesus was a shouts of the reality of where he was headed and what he was going to be facing. But as we're here today in this day, we sit within the tensions of the shouts for joy in this city and a people that thought they understood the Messiah and what he was doing by the entrance and coming into the city. So we are sitting in the midst of the tensions today as he marches in on Jerusalem, but as he not only that he not marches in or does not march in as a king that is about to lead a political revolution, 
but he is entering into this dark day as he surrenders all the way to the cross because he loves us and he loves the people that were there. The hosannas for him were shouts of crucify him that was soon to come. We sit here today in between those hosannas and the cross that we all know about. And in this passage of Scripture, we find that Jesus weeps because of the city. Yes, it is a triumphant entrance that follows many of the patterns of the triumphant entrances of those days or of that time. But Jesus had something altogether different in this entrance of his The pattern that we see of Jesus would have been familiar to the people of those days and even to the Romans in that world that would echo the patterns of what a normal king of those days would do. As a king that would enter into a city that that he was just victorious over, he would have been escorted by the army or by an army or even by the citizens of that town that he was going into, the entrance would have been met with shouts of praises. There would have been elements of that entrance that would have shown or would have identified what type of kingship that this ruler was entering into as he comes into this particular city. And we find that Jesus follows all of these because Jesus, whenever he entered into the city, he had his army, right? He had his 12 disciples that was with him. But Jesus had the following of the citizens of that town as well. And we also know that they had shouts of praises towards their king because the Pharisees, after all, told them, you know, told Jesus to tell them to stop shouting the praises. And Jesus' remark, Jesus's remark was the simple fact that if they stopped, then the rocks would cry out his praises. So we see that Jesus followed this tradition with the entrance into here. Uh, we also know that this uh, you know, would also follow with Jesus going to the temple. Because the conquering king would normally, would normally travel to the temple and then he would offer up a sacrifice for his victorious uh, you know, battle over this city and, and over this realm that he is in, that he is entering into. So Jesus followed these traditions, but yet they were differences And I want us to take a look at these differences because whenever Jesus rode in on the donkey, that was significant of a king in those days. Whenever we see the palm branches being laid down and the cloaks of the disciples and the people that was around being laid in front of him, these two things gives us an understanding of the kingdom that Jesus is reigning in or that Jesus is bringing in because these things all have, uh, you know, this, the illustration or all symbolize the fact of a humble king. The shouts of Hosanna uh, and even his visit to the temple, all of these line up with where they are in, in the people. So can you imagine the thought process that the people had? 
They see Jesus Christ entering in on the donkey, and they have the people laying down their cloaks and shouting praises of Hosanna. They would have been standing there on edge as they were waiting for this king to come in and to overthrow the Roman government and to set up the Israelites as a peaceful nation and be able to reign the world in peace. After all, that's what their Messiah was supposed to bring in. But we see these subtle differences in the entrance that Jesus has. That Jesus is teaching us and telling us that His kingdom, the kingdom that He is reigning in, that He is bringing in, is going to be a different kingdom from what they are thinking about. If you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, in last week, we read Romans chapter 12. And I want us to turn back there. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it gives us this. And it says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus is calling us to have a new mind, to be transformed. But the only way that we can have a transformed mind is if we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we accept Him as being the Son, the one and only Son of God. Last week, or just a few weeks ago, we read John chapter 6, verses 26 through 36, that talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 from just simply five barley loaves and two fish. He fed these people. And the next day, as the passage of Scripture continued on, we find that they went across the river or the sea, and they found Jesus over there. And they asked Him again uh, you know, to feed Him. And they were looking for just a momentary fulfillment They were looking for Jesus to fill their needs that they had right then and right there. But it's not only these passages of Scripture that we find throughout, or but we will find passages of Scripture throughout the Bible that shows us and tells us how the kingdom that Jesus was talking about and the the God that that God wanted the people to, to worship and to allow Him to be was different than all the others that they had known and that, they, that had been out there. There's a passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 5 that really shows this to us. So as you turn to Joshua chapter 5 verse 1, this Old Testament passage shows us a different God. I know that there are more that are there, but this one here is really plain for us. Joshua 5, verse 1, it says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had, how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they were no longer or they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Verse 2, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise all the Israelites. There's two things that point out and shows us the difference here. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I'm going to help you to see those. 
because as we enter in and as they have crossed over the Jordan River and they have defeated uh, you know, the mighty city of Jericho, we find this and we see here these words in verse 1. It says, Their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. How many of you have ever heard the saying, strike while the iron's hot? Right? Uh, you know, this would have been that moment in time that the Israelites would have been able to chase out every one of their enemies in this land because the Scripture says that they were so afraid that they didn't have the courage to even face the Israelites. A normal leader of an army, a normal king, would have struck while the iron was hot and would have chased their enemies completely out of the land and taken over the land with no problem whatsoever. We also know about momentum in, in football and other sports. And whenever you get the momentum, you're supposed to run with it. You're not supposed to hold back. Whenever your team really begins to move the ball down the field, you're supposed to continue pressing and not back off. But we find here that, uh, you know, that God tells them to back off. And how does he tell them to back off? He tells Joshua to make these knives, and with these knives, he is going to circumcise all the male of the Israelites at this point in time. Now, if you go back and you look, there was not a moment in time as the Israelites wandered around in the, in, in the wilderness for those 40 years that there was any circumcision that was done. So the only ones that, were, that had been circumcised of the Israelites were the ones that were done while they were still in captivity in Egypt. And they wandered around in the desert for 40 years and that generation passed away. So God wanted to set up a new covenant with his people. Yes, the iron was hot and it was time for them to, to move on into the battle. But God said, no, I need for you to make this new covenant with me. And in making this new covenant with God, what did it do? It left the Israelites vulnerable. We can also look back into the Old Testament and we have a moment in time where, you know, where, uh, you know Abraham's sons tricked this other clan into circumcising them so that they would be able to marry his daughter. And what did they do? They went in and they killed all the male because they had been circumcised. Men, you understand that whenever we say something about circumcision, that if you have that done, you're not going to be running anywhere too fast, too soon. You're not going to be able to protect yourselves either. And that is exactly where God put his people the Israelites. He put them right in the path where they would be able to, where they would be vulnerable to their enemies. They had just crossed over into enemy territory, just won their first battle. And he says, okay, don't go out and fight anymore. I want you to become my people. And I want you to circumcise yourself and commit to this covenant unto me. And we see this here. That is different than anything that we had ever been taught or we had ever seen as far as a king and how they were going to rule. 
But we also find in the, in the New Testament that Jesus Christ lived this life as well. Look at the birth of Jesus. Uh, you know, as the king of kings, we figure that the king of kings would have been born into this great palace or in this huge home. But no, Jesus' birth was a quiet birth that was done in a manger, in a stable, in a town that was far away from, his, uh, you know, from any of his relatives. And then what about his baptism? You know, Jesus' baptism, he is baptized by John the Baptist. And in this baptism, we see that he comes up out of the water. And it says that a dove come from heaven, that the Spirit of God came and landed upon Jesus and settled upon him. And there was a loud voice from heaven that shouted, This is my Son, who I am very well pleased that would have been a perfect time for Jesus to have started his ministry. After all, he had God's stamp of approval on his life right then and there. And all of those people that was around heard those words. But we find that Jesus doesn't go off into his ministry, but Jesus is led off into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. He is there for 40 days and 40 nights. This lets us know that he is going to be a different king than what we really want. Throughout Jesus' life, he showed this. And, and I look, and one of the favorite things that I see in Scripture you know, is whenever we go to Matthew and we see the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew, and it goes through chapter 7 of Matthew, and we see that Jesus teaches what this life and what this Christian life is supposed to be. And that's where we have the Beatitudes. It says, you know, God said, bless those who were poor. That was different from that day. The poor were not blessed. The rich were blessed. It says, bless those who mourn. It's not the ones that mourn that are supposed to be blessed. It's the ones that are joyful and the ones that are, you know, that are going out into this life that are supposed to be blessed. It says, bless those who are hungry and thirsty. Oh, come on, you know, that is not being blessed, being hungry and thirsty. That is not being blessed. Jesus is telling us how we're supposed to live as Christians on this Sermon on the Mount. But then Jesus in chapter 8, Jesus comes off of the side of the mountain and he begins to live what he talked about in chapters 5, 6, and 7. He is telling us and showing us that he is a different king. That this kingdom that we think that is supposed to come is not the kingdom that he is bringing in. The key verse that we have, or the key verses, is Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 48. And I would like to read those to you right now. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city he wept over it, and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would, be, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side." They will dash you to the ground 
you and your children with your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were sailing, who were, were sailing. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priest and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his word. The people were longing for a military king. They were longing and looking for a political Messiah who would come in and take all of this away. All their struggles and all their heartaches and would remove them from there. That is what they thought they needed. That is what they were looking for in their Messiah. But again, Jesus comes in a completely different way. He comes in an unexpected way. They thought he would come to overthrow the Roman government and to claim his throne. They thought he would come as a military might. But we see, we see something different. As believers, we know the rest of the story. As we have read through Scripture, we know the rest. But we see this part in here that kind of becomes confusing to us. It says, Jesus wept over the city. It says, if you, even you, had known on this day... What would bring you peace? See, we today think we know what would bring us peace. But the things that we think that would bring us peace only satisfies for a moment. But what Jesus Christ is offering is peace that passes all understanding. is a peace that we can have that moves beyond where we are. In this moment in time, we see that Jesus was grieved. He was grieved over the city that didn't understand or refused to understand and to accept Him as the one that He truly was. As He was truly the Son of God. As He was truly God Almighty in flesh that came to give them peace that passes all understanding. Not a momentary peace, not fulfilling a momentary thirst, or not fulfilling a momentary hungry hunger within us, but fulfilling us from the moment on. That as we look into this and look into His life and what He truly has for us, that we no longer long for anything else. Because we have Jesus Christ that is living within us, and that is living in our hearts and in our lives. In this world that we live today, there are struggles. And there are times that we turn away from the peace that Jesus offers to us. 
and we find ourselves struggling amidst, amidst the struggles and the sorrows of this world. The whole time Jesus is saying, I'm here to provide for you. Trust in me. The days that we're in now with this pandemic and with uh, you know, all the disease that's going on, and this Palm Sunday being different from all the Palm Sundays that we have ever experienced, Jesus is still right beside us. Jesus is still invading our space. Yes, even our private safe space. Jesus says, I am here right with you, and he is here to give us peace and to give us understanding in the times of this turmoil. We need to look to Jesus for the peace. We need to look to Jesus for the protection. The second significant thing that we see in Jesus' triumphant entrance that departs from the norm that we know that is, that is all too often this worldly norm that we try to live our lives in is that whenever Jesus goes to the temple, whenever Jesus goes to the temple, they was looking and waiting for him to offer a sacrifice. But Jesus goes in and clears out the temple. And whenever Jesus goes in and clears out the temple, he sends this really simple statement. He says, you have made my house a den of thieves. You have made it difficult for the people around you to come into my house and to worship me. He says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. This process and this money-changing process that they had came up with made it so difficult that the poor couldn't afford a sacrifice. Made it to where only the elite or the special people in society were able to come into the temple and offer up a sacrifice. As in, God only came to satisfy and only came for this specific group of people. But whenever we look into the scripture and we find John uh, you know, 3.16, that, that Jesus loved the world. That he came so that everyone would be able to receive him as their Lord and Savior. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for the special ones. It's not just for the ones that have money. But Jesus Christ came to this earth for everyone. And his house, the house of God, is open to everyone. Regardless of your background. Regardless on whether or not you have money or you don't have money. Regardless if your shoes have holes in them or if they don't. Regardless if you wear wingtips or you wear a suit coat or you don't. Regardless of what it is. Your, you know, God's house is open to you so that you can come in and be, you know, and be blessed by Jesus Christ, the one and only. See, this is his house. It's not ours. It's his for everyone to come in. Jesus going in and, and cleansing out the temple 
opens up the temple for everyone. The courtyards where they had set up. I don't know if you realize this or not, but that was the only place that non-Jews could actually come and worship. Was in that court. And now that court had been taken up by the money changers and by all the sacrifices and all the animals and stuff that were there for the sacrifice. Jesus was opening this up for everyone. For us today, here on this Palm Sunday, that we thought would be different, Jesus Christ is different today. He's the same God, but He is coming to us in a different way. How many of you ever thought that you would be sitting in front of your TV on Palm Sunday listening to your pastor preach a message? That you wouldn't be able to come into the church to be able to experience and to be able to hear the Word of God. But Jesus Christ is still speaking through the Word. It's different, but it's still Palm Sunday. There's been so many people that's put on Facebook that Easter isn't canceled because Jesus Christ has already rose from the grave and there was no stopping it and there is still no stopping it. So Easter is coming because Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords and He is alive and He is sitting on the throne or at the right hand of God Almighty right now interceding for you and I as we worship and as we praise Him. So as we look at this, you might be looking for something different or you might be looking for the same thing. You might be looking for the same Easter that you've had all these years back. It's not going to be the same. But Jesus Christ is still going to be there. Jesus Christ is still in control. He's trying to show us just as he was showing the Israelites and the Jewish nation whenever he entered in that this might be the same thing, but it's just a little bit different. Church today looks different than what it did many years ago. Church today looks different than it did a month ago. The thing is, is that we, as believers, we still try to put a worldly twist or a worldly view on Jesus Christ. Whenever we pray, we all too often want Him to answer in a specific way. And whenever He doesn't answer in that way, then we say, well, he didn't answer my prayer. Or we get upset because he didn't match our agenda. Jesus, on this triumphant entrance day over 2,000 years ago, did not meet the agenda of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders of that day. Why do you think they tried to kill him? We do it today. I do it. 
I look at church and my God, if you were truly blessed in this church, then we would be full. We'd have to be adding on to the sanctuary so we could hold more people. Or we would have to be having two services because we had outgrown this facility to where we would have to have two different groups of people coming in. But God has, over the past couple of days in the last week, God has reminded me that He is blessing us. He is blessing me because He is my Savior. And we have to accept that. We think for us to have blessings, we need to have a bank account full of money. For God to be blessing me, I have to have this mighty home, or I have to have this nice car, or I have to have this nice job, or, you know, you know, all of those things that this world says that you need to have to be successful, we still put it on Jesus and we say, Jesus, you're not blessing me because my bank account's empty. You're not blessing me because I'm struggling to pay my bills. Of course, all of us, now that we're not working and stuff, all of us are struggling to pay our bills, right? God is blessing us because He is still God. He is still the King of kings, and He is still living in our lives. We have to trust in that blessing, that He is the blessing. His salvation is the blessing. Jesus unexpectedly came to bring peace to the world back then, but he comes to us today to bring peace. He comes today to bring peace within our lives, peace within our homes, peace within our world. In the midst of us singing hosannas and praises on this triumphant entrance day and us worshiping, praising Jesus Christ as the King of Kings, we have to remember that he came as a humble king as a king that shows us that we are supposed to bow before him and bow before God almighty because God is in control and God knows best see Jesus came back then in those days to give us a message of peace grace hope and love And that is the same message that he gives us today. That is the same message that I give to you today. That through believing in Jesus Christ, that he gives us peace, that he gives us grace, and that he fills our hearts with love, that he is the blessing that we need. He is the one that we need. He gives us a new mind. A new mind that we would be able to see his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He gives us new eyes that we are able to see this world the way that he sees this world. I want to close with this. God loves everyone. He loves the whole world. He gave His only begotten Son so that we would be able to live with Him forever in eternity in heaven. 
He loves even the lost. He loves the ones that will never accept him as Lord and Savior. His love never changes. And that is the peace that surpasses all understanding. That is the grace that is given to us aboundantly. And that is the love that we love others with. That is the love that we love God with. Because of His Son, Jesus Christ, living in our lives. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the words today. We thank You for the message that You have given to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'd like for everyone to stand as I pray a prayer of benediction. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that your face would shine upon us and that your blessings from heaven will be poured out on each one that is here and each one that is listening to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you enjoyed the service today. And most of all, I pray that this Holy Spirit moved in your life. If there was a decision that you made, whether you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time, or you rededicated your life, or there's a struggle that you've been going through that, uh, that this message helped you with today, I pray that you would reach out and that you would contact us. Uh, you can send me an email at pastorjohn at rockhillfirstchurch.com. And again, I pray for you and I hope that God blesses you.